Hello, and welcome back to Captive Audience. It's been a full year um, and a full pandemic, but we're still here, still indoors. Um, today, we're doing the roundtable on In the Heights that I said that we were going to do. Um, my name is Kelly Hayes. Uh, my background with theater, if you forgot, was um, mainly uh, architecture school, loved theater in high school, went to architecture school, decided architecture school was not for me. And then after that, uh, I went into set design and that's when I And she's walking behind me. We're doing a different kind of recording this time. It's on Zoom instead of me making all of my guests download Audacity, which was a problem. Uh, and also I am from, and we're not doing any retakes. So you can hear a door closing behind me. Anyway, um, I am from Philadelphia, and I think that's it. Got into set design. That's basically where we're at. I got into set design. My first show was shut down by the pandemic. And so my first actual show I ever set designed was virtual. So I'm a virtual set designer. And also I do playwriting now. Who knew? Who knew? And sound. But I'm going to popcorn over to Gabby. Hi, everyone. I'm Gabby. I am from New Jersey, from Jersey City, New Jersey, and I went to school with Kelly in Philadelphia. I have um, an interior design background, and my theater experience really comes from high school. Um, since high school, I just became a fan of it, and it's always been a big part of my life. Part of the reason I went to interior design is that's a way you could stem into set design, so a big fan of that. Yeah, that's me. I'm going to pop it on to Annika. Hi, everybody. I'm Annika. Um, oh, my pronouns are she, her. I am originally from Seattle, Washington, um, recently relocated to New York City and live in that big city life. I'm mainly a director. I've also dabbled in acting, um, trying to get started in intimacy direction as well. Um, also sort of like script reviewing, whatever that's called. I do a lot of script coverage in my life. I don't know where, why, but that's I do that a lot. And in terms of theater background, uh, I was sent to a theater day camp when I was three because it was cheaper than daycare. And they put us in the theater and turned out all the lights and I screamed and ran away. And I've been doing it ever since. So that's basically it. I've always done theater through elementary school, middle school, high school, majored in theater in college, um, minored in public relations because I needed some sort of foothold in a not crazy person job. Uh, but that didn't really work out for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so now here I am trying to trying to live the dream. Jacob. Hey everyone, my name is Jacob Santos. My pronouns are he, him. And I was born in New York, but then I moved to Connecticut when I was a small baby. So I'm now based in New Haven, Connecticut. And my background in theater is I started doing theater when I was in high school my senior year. And then when I went to college, I was a pre-pharmacy major and I don't know what I was doing. But luckily, I realized that very soon, my first semester of freshman year, and I dropped that, transferred schools, and then I became a double major in theater and business. Then uh, after that, I went to work at a regional theater in the management department. And now I'm back at school in graduate school studying theater management. So it's just, it's been a whole journey. At Yale, Jacob never says it, but I brag for him because to me, that's very impressive. But um, I thought that we would start this podcast by going over what we 
did like and didn't like? And how does everybody feel about doing that also? We're, this podcast is, is, is going to be very loose as normally a round table is, but I do want to split it. Might not work out. And if it doesn't, we'll say, fuck it, and we won't do it. But um, normally split from story to production because I'm a set designer and the goal was taking friends who were from architecture school uh, and making them talk about their production because um, I thought that was really interesting because it's it's sort of the connection that we have um, as, as architects or as interior designers. Um, but if you do not want, if, if it winds up that your one of your favorite parts or one of your least favorite parts was production, I'm gonna say for now, maybe save it for later and we'll bring it back up about an hour in, although we might also split this podcast, who knows, we'll see. Future editing Kelly is gonna have a really fun time. Let's go into our favorite and least favorite thing about the story slash this includes like music and also characters and change it. This can also just we can totally talk about changes in this case. We're going to try and stay away from the musical. I would say that if uh, a spoiler alert um, and also B, um, if you want any of us talking about the uh, about the musical itself, you can listen to Affirmative Reaction, uh, which is the podcast that Jacob and Annika are on, or you can listen to Captive Audience, where me and my friend Ariana went over the musical about a year ago, and I uh, didn't know what I was talking about. So maybe I lied. Go to Affirmative Reactions, listen to their podcast. I want to hear, I'm not going to go for it. I'm not going first. So who would like to start us off for their favorite and least favorite part? Okay, Anaka, go ahead. Um, okay, so if I have to, I'll pick one thing just so that we can keep it streamlined. My favorite thing about the movie was that it did justice to the the big group numbers. I think you know, In the Heights is usually on a unit set. I mean that's production, but like In the Heights is usually on a unit set, one location. You can't do a ton with changing places. Um, so the movie was able to expand the world in a way that was really exciting. 96,000 hit different for me um, in a way it has never hit in the musical. I did not care that much. I mean, I like 96,000, but I was like, well, that's fine. The movie 96,000 is probably one of my like top two, in my top two favorite songs from the show or from the movie. So yeah, I think doing justice to the big, the big numbers, making them like epic and amazing. John Chu loves some water choreography. Please go watch Step Up to the Streets. Um, he knows what he's doing when it comes to water choreo, and we love to see it. So yeah, that was definitely my favorite part of the movie. <sighs> my least favorite part of the movie was... I don't know how to say this. Like, I get... I, the problem is that I can't... For me, it's hard for me to separate the movie from the musical. The musical is a really big part of my life. It's been in my... I mean, I, I've had it in my life since I was you know, what, what's 2008? So I was in middle school, I guess. So like that, the, the, I guess, yeah. So my main, my least favorite thing is like, I feel like we lost, we lost a lot of story to spectacle. Um, because if, if like, if you just see the movie, which is what we're talking about today, like, I know we said we weren't going to talk about the musical, but like this, this is my least favorite thing is that if you watch the movie, you'll be like, wow, that was great. But if you watch the musical, there's just a whole nother depth in the book to the characters, especially to like people like Abuela. 
and other characters that are completely cut from the movie. Like, there's just a lot of humor and a lot of, like, rapport between the characters that builds the sense of community in a way that the musical numbers do not. Um, and that all had to be cut in order to make room for the music, which I understand, but it made me feel like the musical, the movie, is a lot of spectacle, some, like, touch point emotional beats that we needed to hit, but that's it. So... Yeah, I guess I feel I just feel like I lost a lot a lot of the heart from from stage to screen. I will I will add on before you popcorn to the next person. I would actually like to add on um, a little part where you say how you got into In the Heights, because that's something that we did not say within our, our introductions. But I think it's a very interesting story since we all are are very attached and in love with this musical. Like I want to I would like to hear how you like came about. came. Yeah, know. I mean, I talk about this on our podcast, too. I do, but I really like the story. I know. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, so I first heard it in 2008 or 9, whenever, it was right when the cast recording came out. It's called a cast recording, not a soundtrack. I've been uh, reprimanded by my roommate for calling it a soundtrack. Um, For a a stage musical, it's a cast recording. I don't know, she's picky. Apparently school broke her and she's picky about these things. So I listened to the cast recording right when it came out. Um, I was in I was in Washington D.C. for Barack Obama's inauguration. Don't ask me why. I don't really know why I was there. I didn't live in D.C. Yeah, and I just I don't know. I really don't. I can't like explain to. I think yeah. I think my grandma was like, here, listen to this, because she like is one of those Kennedy Center patrons. She was like in the know about stuff, and she was like, here, listen to this, and I was just like absolutely enchanted. I couldn't, I was like, my heart was full and I couldn't believe that like theater could do this. Like I I was, it was like a whole other like portal opened in my mind and I was like, oh my God, I love this. And I, yeah, I, I think like In the Heights and Rent are the two like musicals that keep me anchored to theater. Like sometimes when I'm like, fuck all of this. Like, I just want to leave. I'm done. I'm going to pack my bags and go. And then I listen to Rent or In the Heights and I'm like, I think I have to stay. I think I have to stick around and like make this work. So in the, I mean, I've, I've listened to In the Heights constantly. I made my, I said, I told this on the podcast too, but like really this is, I made my, one of my best friend like at camp. I was like, have you heard of In the Heights? Because she's also um, Latina. And I was like, oh my God, have you heard In the Heights? And she's like, what? Cause she's not a theater person. And I was like, oh my God, sit down. And we like sat on the bleachers at our camp and I made her listen to the whole thing on my pink iPod Nano with one earbud in for each ear. People were like walking past us like, you're still here? And I was like, okay, so after this, so this song happens and then like the next thing that happens is like, then they go to this dinner and she was like, okay, I think I get it. Who's this? And it was very, so I've always stand in the Heights. Um, I've only ever seen it professionally through slime tutorials and I saw it when it when it's done regionally um but it it has my whole heart i've loved it the musical for years uh when i heard the movie was finally happening i was like ah! <laughs> i was a little scared um and for good reason but yeah in the heights has been in my life since as long as i as soon as the cast recording came out i will popcorn to wait i want to hear gabriella's in the heights story Oh my gosh. Um, so my in the Heights story was honestly, I was a Girl Scout. And then the Girl Scouts did this like huge performance thing where each troop had to do a musical. And um, that's actually where I found my love for theater. I was like, well, this is so cool. Then I think the senior Girl Scouts performed in the Heights. And I was like, whoa, 
I was entranced. I was like, what is this? They look, they look like me. That's like music my family plays. That's crazy. I was like blown away that theater could do that. Like, I, I think I got so emotional that day. And ever since that, I went home, little old me in like middle school, and I like listened to it all. And I told my mom about it. I prayed that I would do it in high school. And I did my junior year. And I was just obsessed. And ever since that, I just talked about it. I heard the movie was going to come out, told everyone, I'm going to watch it with all of you. I don't care who you are. I'll watch it as much time as you want. And yeah, I've always been a huge fan of it. Yeah. (laughs) In contrast to what Annika said, I think what I love the most were like the smaller songs that don't get a lot of attention or hype were showcased so beautifully. Like the visuals, like Paciencia y Fe. That's like, I didn't really care for that song. I always liked it. I was there. But the way they did, I got, I cried. It was beautiful. They showcased their story so well. Um, I think my favorite scene in the entire show or the movie was when the sun goes down. That was gorgeous. I was obsessed with how they staged it. And that's also a song that kind of flies under the radar and they did it beautifully. Um, I think my least favorite part of the show, I have to agree, was kind of like a lot of major points of the musical and the story were kind of lost, I think, because the spectacle, um, like Annika said, but I think especially like the, the lottery subplot, it was kind of just thrown in there and you're like, oh yeah, there's a lottery and then 96,000, cool. But it was kind of, there's a lot to piece together in their defense, but I think that comes from the whole mo- like musical to movie translation becomes difficult in fitting all those things in. And the specifically the Mark Anthony cameo, I'm so angry about that, that I can't, I don't, I don't even like the critique on In the Heights doesn't mention that. And I just do not think that I understand why they gave, why they gave that backstory to Sunny, but I did not appreciate them making him have an alcoholic father. Not every Latinx story needs to come from trauma. Um, And I just felt like that was very unnecessary. But yeah, I think there was just a lot to put together, but that's just my thought. So I'll popcorn up to Jacob. Awesome. Yeah. So my Mm -hmm. first experience within the Heights was um, a regional theater I was applying to was doing it. So they were like, hey, come see the show. We'll give you two free tickets. Come up, see the theater. So I asked my best friend Dallas to to go see it with me. And he he picked me up because I didn't have a car at the time. And when we were driving over there, he, he kept singing to me because he's like he's a musical theater person. And he was singing these songs and I was like, what is he singing? Like there was no music playing in the car. So I was like, what? But then I just like didn't pay attention to it at first because like I was like, oh, he's a musical theater guy. He just loves to sing. And then I was like, oh, my God, he's singing the soundtrack to the show we're about to go see. And he thinks I know it and I don't. (laughs) So like I like pretended to know like the the lyrics to the song along with him to make it seem like I was cool. that I knew what like we were going to go see, but I didn't know a thing. So that was my first experience seeing it. And like Annika and Gabriella said, like it was an emotional experience because that was the first time I had ever seen. Latina people on stage and it was like a story about them and it wasn't offensive (laughs) and it was a musical like how many of those do we have let's be honest so yeah that was my first experience with it and it was it was like life-changing I cried throughout the entire thing so yeah and then so going to the movie I would say my favorite thing is like where they moved Paciencia y Fe in the stories, so like in the stage musical, it's a little bit earlier, but in the movie, it's after the blackout. 
and I just feel like the way they treated it and the way they framed it was just so it was more emotionally resident, uh, resident and impactful. And just the way that they mirrored it in the movie is like her going on her daily train ride, her thinking back to her immigration journey. And then just and the way it ends and all her ancestors line up behind her. And she's like, should I go or should I stay? She's talking about, should I go to the Dominican Republic or stay? But she's also talking about, should, should she go into the afterlife or is it day? <laughs> so good. So good. Um, and then, yeah, one of my least favorite things was that I felt... The ten, like, of course, this is going to be compared to, to the stage musical, unfortunately, but some of the tension within Nina's family is lost because the mother's completely cut. She's not in the movie. And the, the character of Benny, who is Nina's love interest, his story is changed where like in the stage musical, there's like Nina's dad doesn't like him because he's not Latino, but also because he's black <laughs> so but that's not present in but because he's well in like in the book it's not his race isn't defined but like since it was cast as like a black man in the broadway show usually people associate benny with being black but yeah i felt like some of that a lot of that tension was lost in that fi- family dynamic which was really dram- dramatic and interesting but yeah so i got to know in the heights so i'm asian um but the way that i got into into the heights was um and my mom fights me on this every time. And I kind of love that we fight about it because um, it's really funny. Uh, my history teacher, when I was in seventh grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, maybe eighth grade. Yeah, like 2008, 2009. So eighth grade. When I was in eighth grade, my middle school teacher, Mr. Johnston, Johnson, Johnson, Mr. Johnson, uh, who taught history, wrote in my planner he was like, Kelly, you like musicals. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you'd like this one. And then he wrote In the Heights. Um, and he, and I told my mom later about it. And at the time um, I was like very privileged. I got to see a Broadway show um, every year on my birthday, which was really nice. Um, and we like would go down to New York and we would like get a nice dinner and then we should see a show and we go home. And what happens is my parents always buy me the soundtrack before we go see it. And then we play it in the car going up. I had not seen many musicals at that point. Um, I My catalog really went up when I got into college. Um, and then I just started watching bootlegs as I would do work. And so I remember listening to In the Heights for the first time and I hated it. Um, I was listening to it in the car. Um, I was one of those punks that you guys were literally talking about in the Affirmative Reaction podcast where I was like, I don't like rap. Like, because I didn't understand what I was talking about and I was dumb. And so I like, just didn't like it. I brushed it off. As soon as I heard Usnavi rapping, I was like, I don't like it. That's really embarrassing, but it needs to be said. Um, and people, you can change. Uh, you can have other opinions. I actively ask you to change. Please don't like this musical on the fact that it's a rap. I don't know. Grow up, see grass. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> and so, um, and so I finally got to see this musical and it was, of course, I saw it and it was the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it remains being in, I would even say the top three musicals for me, um, competing with Rent, of course. I don't know, whatever wrote is in the rotation. I'm a little mad at uh, Janine Tesori right now. Uh, so we're not really going to go into Fun Home. Um, I'm mad at her right now. 
it's mostly because I heard a, a podcast uh, with her talking about thoroughly modern Millie and it's as bad as you think it is, dear listeners. Oh, I and also I will say uh, another thing that I do is if we talk about an article or we talk about a person or we're talking about whatever, um, I am able to do something called show notes and I just drop the links in the show notes. So if you guys have anything that you are like, dear reader, please listen to this or read this. I'll find the article. You can send me the article. Um, I'm going to put that link to the podcast. Uh, everyone can be as mad as me because I got really mad on Twitter at 3 a.m. one night and I just went off. It was about Thoroughly Modern Millie. So my favorite part of the movie of In the Heights was the fantastical elements, which could definitely be construed as a production thing, but because it was a choice and I think it's a very cerebral conceptual choice, I'm including it. Um, because of the things like Pacienza Bay, um, and also When the Sun Goes Down, which is definitely a reference to some old movie that I'll definitely find and put in the show notes. Um, because I know that they were, I know that they were talking about it, that like a lot of the segments that they were doing is they were like doing a spin on a lot of, um, uh, old classics, putting a, a spin on the old classics. And I really appreciate that, especially as a, as a, um, like not trauma-centered kind of narrative. Um, I really enjoyed. Um, and I think you guys all kind of talked about like what I didn't like is same thing. Um, I really didn't like that the mom was not there. I couldn't really justify it. I like that Abuela kind of filled it, but I don't like that she needed to. Like once they, cause like it's a little counterproductive that they introduced these napkins and I was like, why was the mom not there to tell Nina herself about these embroidered napkins? Um, because when we get into it, you know, in the production side, that's one of the things I want to talk about. Um, but so I think that that was just mainly my how I, how I felt about that. Uh, the mom was enough is a good song. Uh, I'm sorry, Ryan. I, I saw a TikTok the other day that was like, this is how they explained Nina's mom and in the Heights. And it was like, oh, if only your mother who was dead were here. Oh, your mother, God rest her soul. I wish she could see this, but she's dead. And like every five seconds, they're like, do you remember that Nina's mom is dead? She's dead. And you're like, oh my God, we get it. I have. We I, get it. I saw that TikTok. Yeah, I think that the mom plays a really interesting role. I always say this funny story. It has nothing to do with like her being taken out of the movie, but this funny story of, I'll never forget watching that show on Broadway and like looking at my mother, my white, my very white mom during that song. And she was looking at me and she was like looking at the stage and she does this thing where she like has this intense eye contact with it, with you. And it means like, do you see, are you listening to me? And so she would, she literally during this song, like as she was, as the as the mom was yelling at the dad, Adita, my mother was looking at me and then looking up and then looking at my dad and then looking back at me and then looking up and then looking at me. And it was just her head was constantly moving during that song because and I think it's a really interesting thing that like because I think that so often we talk about how people of color have to relate to a story uh, like our forest to relate to stories that are very white and like that white people can't possibly relate to other stories of color, which is, is a different point than stories being for people specifically, which is something may, we may also get into later. But like, I thought that that was a really interesting 
thing with my mom. But yes, the I want the mom to be not dead. Thank you. That would have been really nice because I I like it only it only made sense to me that she would be alive after they talked about the napkins because I thought that that piece of character like the generational thing was great in that and I was like this is great but why is she unalive for it and so that was my and so that was my thing do you I would you like to go into, would you like to go into that change since we're definitely talking about that now now we're going we're into the free form so I would be interested in hearing what whatever what everybody thought kind of about like the changes that were made with characters um if we want to start with the mom first well, um, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking about the movie and, and so in the, yeah, in the movie, it's just dad. And I think that ultimately that cuts a lot of the complexity of Nina's family dynamics because like it, it, it sort of, it, it makes her more stereotypical actually, because like in, in the musical, it's like she has two loving parents who are in a stable relationship, like no trauma has happened in her family besides like racial, you know, historical poverty, like, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, live within your means that, I mean, those are obviously like e- economic and cultural factors, but like relationship wise, they were fine. Like, obviously Kevin is Kevin, but like they, the, the parents had a good relationship. Like she lived in a loving home. Like, she she didn't come from a broken home. And having her mom be dead gives this whole, like, you should do it for your mother, like, also overbearing Latin dad, like, thing. Where, like, he's trying to overcompensate for something that that I've seen before. And I was like, oh, cool. So Nina's story is now less individual, right? Like, obviously, there are tons of Latin, Latin families who have single parents. But, like, that was actually really cool. It's kind of like... Yeah, actually being able to see like a loving, healthy Latin couple, <laughs> because I feel like Latin couples, like Latin parents in in film, are always like either super dysfunctional or someone's dead. Like either they hate each other and it's super toxic, or it's a single mom or a single dad. And I yeah, so I loved in the musical. Like I I I've talked about this too, but like I loved in the musical that enough is the song where we get the thing that everyone's been thinking, which is both of you are wrong. Kevin, you're being a hard ass, so like calm down. But also Nina, you were also in the wrong for not, for like making your parents worry. Like both of you are incorrect. And we don't get that balance in the movie. We get Kevin's kind of made into a little bit more of a villain or like the sort of antagonist who's like, I don't know, not antagonist even, but just like he's very much one note about like, you gotta do this for me. Cause I didn't go to college. I don't know. Yeah, it just, it made me, made me a little sad. Um, I miss Kami a lot. I miss enough. Yeah, and I, I think, like, it, yeah, it made, it made Nina's story a little less unique. See, with me, I love her character, and I love their dynamic, and I do feel it was really important and a big part of the musical. I'm just wondering how they would have tied it into the rest of the show without, like, taking up too much time. Because there was point, there was a point in the heights where I'm like, okay, this is getting long. Like it's it's, it's stretching out a little bit. But so I see why they're probably like, uh, we just don't have time for it. But I don't think they. I agree that they didn't have to necessarily like take her out completely. She didn't have to like have a huge part of the movie. But I think yeah, having that single dad factor and her scream, it's not it's not my dream, it's yours. Just made it cliche. Like I was like really like it was a lot more. 
there was a lot more depth to them that was lost. I think I didn't mind um, the dad not being like having this complicated relationship with Benny because I kind of I kind of felt like blackout. I didn't blackout was chopped up a lot. That was a change where I didn't know how I felt about it. I don't know if I liked it, but I did like that they changed the whole like um, the relationship struggle between Vanessa and Usnavi instead of it being between Nina and Benny because in that song usually it's it's just like. I'm mad at you. And then by the end of the song, I'm not mad at you anymore. Like, it didn't need to happen. They gave it more depth with that happening. So I get why that didn't pan out. But I agree the mom should have stayed in the movie. But I don't think her role should have been as big as it was. That's totally fair. I agree. Not that I necessarily needed to have enough in the movie. But, like, I don't know. It would have been nice to have her there. I miss yeah. Her. It's a great song, too. It's a great song. Just, okay, The on my other, the other boy's uh don't give enough its appreciation so thank you thank you for that i feel seen yes of yeah course. i think that the i the point that i talk about even in my earlier podcast is i talk a lot about what i thought was really interesting was like the anti-blackness of specifically towards benny um which i don't think is the same thing as the blackout scene because i think with the the blackout scene I like that in the dinner conversation, it never made sense to me that Benny blamed Nina for him not having a job. So I like that they actually had Benny come to Nina's defense during that scene. And it was like, you're not listening because they are the same age. And it's very much a generational elder thing, which is something that I'm learning about because it's something I've never gone through. I'm also adopted. Hello. But like, so that's not a thing I've ever encountered. I've never like had an argument with an elder because like they've never talked to me. Uh, so like, you know, I have like white grandparents. Um, they know nothing. It's fine. They're great. They're German. I think that that's a really interesting point. I do miss the fact though, because I think that that's a conversation and I've been seeing it a lot around the Twitter sphere and, and, and that people really wanted that to be kept in because it was a really nice nuance uh, to the community. Um, I mean, don't I think I don't know if I go into this, but like I always thought when I was really young and naive. So like three years ago, um, I was like, why couldn't this cast be all uh, Asian people? Because I was going around being like, I want this show, but for like Asian people, which like I still do. But like, obviously, this show is very much linked with the culture that it's from. But I always thought that it was interesting because Benny was specifically a black character. And I think that Corey Hawkins, who plays uh, Benny in the movie, I said in an interview that he saw Benny as Afro-Latina, Latin, which was an interesting thing. I don't know, I'd have to find that again. Um, but I read that in an interview and I um, was like, okay, okay. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, but I thought like, I, I uh, something I thought was really interesting is like, well, what would have happened if Benny was Asian? Like, what would have happened? Like, I think that that's an interesting thing to look at. Like, I've always said, I always wish, uh, I always wish Benny was a girl. I think that that's a really interesting change. And I think that a really good way to explain casting is like, there's no, I, to me, I don't think there's really any boundary that should be stopping anybody who's gender nonconforming or trans or a girl to play Benny, but Benny should always be black because the story is rooted in the lines that Kevin says, the lines, like, I feel like that is specifically a plot line that was added about anti-blackness. But then again, 
I'm not really sure what Lynn entailed. I'm not sure if in the community, if somebody who was Asian, somebody who was South Asian, someone who was, you know, who would be received in what way. And I think that that's a really interesting, I don't know if I'm articulating this correctly, but I've, I've always thought it was a, a really interesting thing. And I'm sad that they left it out of the movie. At least if I can say anything, I'm very upset that they left it out. No, I, I want to add on to what you're saying. I think having just read, I, I mean, we're talking about the musical, but I think it, it translates to, I think it translates to the movie, right? Like they cut that plot line out of the movie because, and I've said this before, like Benny was always cast as black, but reading the script, there is no indication that he is black. There is like absolutely no indicators that he is black. It's just that he's not Latin. That's what they care about, right? And I think like, I, I've, I've read a lot of scripts in the past few years that have actually been speaking specifically to the Asian experience in the like Bronx, upper New York City um, experience. And like, it, like there's some, there's how oh, David, David Jang, I think his name is, has specifically written like a few plays about like being from the hood and being Asian <laughs> and like not being like you know the kids on the kids on his block being like you can't say the n-word he's like but you say it and i've grown up with you and they're like well you can't you know like i think actually the asian communities in in like the bronx of washington heights area in wood like are there um and actually have a very specific experience that would be so interesting to explore with benny if you like yeah if you grow up in the hood and you you are the one who doesn't look like you're not white but you're the one who doesn't look like everyone what does that mean? I think that'd be really interesting. But I think it is it is telling that the story of anti-blackness was cut at the same time as we're having the conversation about dark-skinned Afro-Latine people and like what would it mean for Benny to be black but not Afro-Latine in a community of Afro-Latine people because that would be different, right? Like we've, we've talked about like the colorism of this show um, and this show is really about like shades and to quote Jeremy O'Hare's again, um, so it's it's really interesting that like yeah the the cultural makeup, the color makeup of the movie set of delineated a lot delineated something interesting because Leslie Grace is Dominican but still light skinned, so there was a hard delineation between Benny being blackity black and everyone else being you know shades of latte, and then. Cutting, also cutting that story of him being different, right? Like it, there was just a lot of sort of nuance of culture that was cut, I think, because they were trying, because because I, I go back and forth about the Benny thing. There are some days where I'm like, it's a little bit of a messy plot line. Like, I don't know that we need it in 2021. And there's some days where I'm like, no, we really need to actually talk about like racism within the Latina community um, more. And I think that it's not fair that we don't, that we try to pretend like POCs are a monolith that can't be racist towards other POCs. Um, so my opinion about that sort of like fluctuates all the time. But I think it is telling that in the movie, both of those things are sort of forgotten. Um, and that comes from the original casting of the musical. That comes from, you know, Lynn being clear that this was always a story to see himself in. Um, and he's included other people, but like he's always like about, I wanted to see me and who he is is a light-skinned Latine man who's not from the Dominican Republic. So there's just a lot of factors there that I'm like, we're really losing a lot of culture in the movie to... Like, like Latine people are not made a monolith in the movie at all, obviously. Carnaval del Barrio, we get everybody's flags. We see the different colored people in the background. In the background. 
so like we do get a diversity but but in terms of the actual conversations about culture that we get they have been a lot of them have been cut from the movie to and i feel like it's to make it a more positive space but i don't know like weirdly then that contrasts with the dreamer storyline which i felt a little bit weird about and the the i got searched of it all i i don't know i don't know I would also love to hear about what everybody thought because the Mark Anthony thing and then also about Sonny specifically like I would love I for one never thought that Sonny I for some reason like Robin DeJesus who we love who played Sonny in in the musical I don't know I never pictured Sonny being so young but that's because I also think that the actor who played him in the movie um, just I feel like just looks incredibly young like he looks 10 to me um, he's like, he's so like lanky and, um, I remember like seeing Robin DeJesus when I saw it on, on Broadway and he was like, so buff. Um, and I thought that he was like, I thought Sonny was like 18. Like I thought it was like 18, 19, 20 and Usnavi was Lynn's age. Uh, and it is actually a lot different than that. It's much younger. Everybody's they're a lot younger. Um, and so seeing him like be like a little like baby but also like an activist. I love him, but I I would like love to hear about the story with him and what people thought of that. I mean, that is, I, I, I'm, I'll let other people speak for a second because I've been talking a lot, but um, that is the thing actually that's interesting is that because of theater contracts, you can't get a 14 year old to play to play Sonny on, on Broadway eight shows a week, right? So Sonny had to be played by someone who's probably like 22, but if we think about it, and also we talked about this, God bless Mandy Gonzalez, but she does not look like a freshman in college. So when when everybody looks older than than they're saying they are, we have to think of the fact that uh, just finishing freshman year of college, you are 18 or 19. If an 18 or 19 year old was your babysitter, that means he has to be like at least 16 or like 15 maybe, which <laughs> it was it was very weird. It was very weird, but also very fun to see him played by an actual child i liked it okay everybody go on yeah see with me i always pictured sunny to be a teenager like i i always saw like um Usnavi being almost like an older brother figure to him so for me it wasn't too weird of a distinction i will say he did look really young but that was really cute i i liked it and i like that he was very like um he was an activist and he's very vocal and he brought some humor into it i will say I, I also agree. I don't know how I feel about the Dreamer subplot. It kind of just feels thrown in there, which I don't know how much that does. It kind of just feels like some something you throw in there, but you don't really elaborate on. And if it's not consistent with the rest of the movie and their casting and everything, it kind of just doesn't feel like it needs to be there. Yeah, his dad. <laughs> I, I'm so mad about that. I, I think I would have been, I think I would have like appreciated it more if it was like a, like a dad who was there for him, but he didn't really know how to get out of the situation he's in, in contrast to Nina's dad, who knows that he has the capability to get her to college and knows what she needs to do to do that. And they're fully capable of doing that. I think it would have been interesting to showcase those different dynamics of like a hopeless father than like an like one who feels like hopeful for the future. But instead, they kind of just threw in that he's an alcoholic. He's not in the picture at all. And I don't... I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, Sonny was cute. I thought his age worked well, but <laughs> yeah, what are everyone else's thoughts? 
Yeah, I agree. I always saw Sonny as someone who was like a teenager and younger. And that's mostly because the the actor who played that character in the production I saw was 18 years old, but like looked much, much younger. So like my first experience of seeing Sonny was like as basically a teenager. So it made, it made sense for me. It wasn't I didn't have like a weird experience seeing him as like an actual child. And then, yeah, the dreamer subplot just felt like something that the team was like, okay, we're making a Latinx show. How do we get all of the things that are going on with Latinx people in here? How do we up the dramatic stakes for for Sunny? Let's just make him a dreamer and an undocumented character. Yeah, since like there's no room in the movie to explore that or even like say definitive and specific things about that struggle, I just question like how much worth what how worth it was it putting it in the film because like I don't think anyone (laughs) who's not already about that cause and like about like immigration is going to come away walking away from this movie with any like enlightened idea of like undocumented struggles or the struggles that dreamers go through right like there wasn't enough in the movie that explored that where I was just like oh so you just did something to like it almost in a way is like emotionally manipulative because you know people are going to feel really strong and emotional about that that topic but since you don't explore it's just like here's a sad thing and here's a really tough thing and we're moving on (laughs) I will say that he got me when he started crying um during the scene where um Abuela dies and you get like this montage of all of them finding her rude it watching I don't know why specifically Sunny watching Sunny cry I don't know got me I just like he's like sobbing and I'm, and I'm sobbing. Uh, but I mean, I think that that brings up a really interesting conversation. Um, one of the things that kind of like came up in my mind that has been kind of like going in my mind throughout the week was this idea of, and, and it came up in the prom too. Um, and I talk about this in, we're just plugging everyone's podcasts. Um, I was in token theater friends. Uh, I was in one of their podcasts. And poor Jose, it's the longest podcast he's ever had to edit um, because he had me talking about the prom. um, And that adaption just came out recently as well. Um, And we were taught one of the things we talked about in that adaptation was how they made more room for the adults and less room for the two lesbians, uh, my girls, Emma and Alyssa. And I think that there's a really interesting conversation surrounding the question, who is this for? Who is this made for? And I, I use my parents a lot. Um, they've walked through this space, so you all know, um, but like they're, they're white. Um, uh, but I think that it's, it's interesting because I use them for a lot of my opinions on theater, just like a gauge of like what middle America thinks because they're there and they have those opinions. Believe me, I've talked to them enough. Um, and so hearing um, kind of like what my mom thought after talking about the prom and after talking about like, you know, in the Heights, you know, we didn't really talk about undocumented immigrants afterward. Um, I think that we want to put these things in because we want there to be a conversation about them because they're important things to talk about. And like, I hope that there are people who saw Sunny um, and were like, yeah, like that's a, a problem. And I hope that there are like people who do that, but I think it goes back to like, who is this movie for and who do we want it to be for? 
because I, I definitely had that conversation with the prom also. And I always say that like the prom is worth it for the last 20 minutes of that film. Um, having that shot of all those queer kids coming into prom and being like, this prom is for me. I was like, yeah, I cried for the last 15 minutes of that movie. Um, and I like made the judgment call that like, I think the movie is a net good. Um, and I don't really know if I'm able to make that call within the Heights. I don't think I am, but um, I, I think I would like to like hear what people's opinions are about that idea, because I think that we all are kind of on the, on this weird scale, especially theater people of like incrementalism and like what we think is palpable to our audience, but also what we want to challenge them on. And I think that that's a good, you know, that's a good conversation to have about In the Heights because it's, it's one of like the first movie musicals that's really like non-trauma based and centered around a specific group, I feel like. I mean, you could argue that the prom is like LGBTQ. I don't know. I don't really. Oh, boy. and then and then and then we're gonna talk about Carla and Daniela, but uh, and Kuka because would marry Dasha. Honestly, would marry Dasha in five seconds. But let's let's answer this question first. Yeah, um, I would say In the Heights is a net good. I will say that off the jump. I think overall, I'm really glad that it's getting the money thrown at it that it deserves. Um, God bless capitalism sometimes, not ever, but sometimes. Uh, but I think the problem is that In the Heights is always supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be positive. It's supposed to be like, yeah, not tra- a not trauma-based Latin A story. So like to throw the dreamer subplot in there where he might get kicked out of the country and eventually it resolves as yes he's going to do the thing that everybody else does and he's only able to do it because they have an actual ridiculous amount of some sum of money that they would have never had like he would have never pursued citizenship if they didn't have he literally handed him the whole ass lottery ticket and said all of this goes towards sonny's uh citizenship journey that's a hundred thousand dollars basically and that's how much it takes to become as that's how much money it takes to be and he wasn't like yeah put aside the rest the 60% that'll be left for me he was like no i know that you'll need all of this so basically the the conclusion to sunny's storyline is have a lot of money win the lottery and apply to be a citizen so like <laughs> okay like is that a net is that a, is that a good thing to say to people be like yeah dreamers should just win the lottery and try to become citizens like i don't know what if that's not possible like it would be so much more interesting if they were like it's actually not possible for for us financially to pursue citizenship right like that's a more nuanced conversation but in the heights is yeah so that's that was like a weird thing that that like didn't feel like it it added to the to the overall ambiance and the movie i think on the whole definitely tries to take a lot of the yeah, and like, like I feel like we've talked about it, but like it tries to take a lot of the emotional drama out of it. Like all the drama that leads Benny and Nina through Act One, all of their sexual tension, all of their emotional withholdings is gone because they dated before. They've already had their moment. Like I guess Nina being like, I got told I was a waitress and I got searched are like her most traumatic moments. Um, but Miss Leslie Grace was not giving me what I needed like sorry (laughs) she wasn't god bless her so it's like yeah i think in the heights is supposed to be the movie specifically is way more targeted towards being a bright and beautiful celebration of a neighborhood 
And the biggest thing that I've heard um, from white people and also other Latine people when the subject of Afro-Latinx representation comes up um, is stop ruining this. Stop being a hater. Um, can't we just have good things? You're just jealous of Lynn is a big one I've heard. Um, which is part of the reason that I'm kind of upset that In the Heights had to happen on the back of Hamilton because now all the white people see his genius. And so they're like, you can't yell at Lynn. He wrote Hamilton and you could never. But would they have been saying that if In the Heights was the only thing he had done? Absolutely not. So like the white people, the light people, everyone's sort of just like it, dismissing a lot of the, 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 the questions people have about the nuance of the movie, which... You know, is is the musical fully nuanced? No, but I would argue it's more nuanced than the movie. The movie is is very much a sort of shiny, big, bright, beautiful thing that people don't want to have hard conversations about. And so it's like, yeah, I, I think it's really hard for for the for the movie to it's a net good because it's getting the visibility, but the visibility is also coming with shut up and take it. And this is what you got, and you got a really good thing, and it was really well done, which I don't, I don't disagree with. I think it was exquisitely done, um, in terms of like production, which we will talk about soon. But like for people, t for for the for the majority of like the masses that are supposed to be being introduced to the heights, right? Like all the people who are just seeing the movie and hearing the criticisms, they're saying, "Go away and take what you got, and we'll think about it in the future." Future projects. I've got, shut the fuck up about future projects. I care about this one, especially because you could have taken the goddamn train. For the amount of times John M. Chu says he walked around Washington Heights, how did he not see that all those people are black? He talked about, like, I looked at the, the slant of the bodega sign. You saw the slant of the bodega sign? You didn't see that, that that neighborhood's all black? That there's a bunch of really dark-skinned people in that neighborhood on the whole? What? So... Yeah, I think it it is a net good, but you know, with an asterisk that I don't, I will not just shut up and take it, and I will hold the duality of it's a good movie and I have problems with it. Yeah, I think the question of who in the Heights is for has kind of come to haunt the movie and the show a little bit, just because like now with the conversations we're having, it's really obvious that Lynn, of course, like this is like a lot of things people are saying that Lynn wrote the show. For, for himself, yeah, because like that's what he says. He says he didn't see a lot of Latinx stories or roles for him in the industry, so he wrote a story for himself. And that's where the issues begin because he wrote Usnavi to be Dominican and he is Puerto Rican. And it's really obvious that him and Kiara wanted this to be... And like everyone surrounding In the Heights wants this to be the Latine show. And it shouldn't be that because it's about a very specific neighborhood and the very specific kind of Latina people live in that neighborhood. Like if you look up the demographics, like 60% of the immigrants that live in Washington Heights are Dominican. <laughs> so I, I saw an interview with Anthony Ramos and he was like, yeah, on set we had Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Peruvians, Mexicans, Venezuelans, like literally everyone from Latin America was here when like there isn't, that isn't the demographics of Washington Heights. Like you like, like Peruvians, that's not a big demographic in Washington Heights so that's where it's becoming an issue for people because for so long this has been besides like West Side Story this has been the other big Latine musical so of course 
Peruvians, Venezuelans, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Brazilians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone's going to want to be seen in something that's been called the Latine show. But <laughs> because the, like, and that's why there's a lot of people being defensive about it because some folks saw themselves in it. And that's amazing. But like the dramaturgically, if we're looking at Washington Heights, it should be predominantly Dominican people and dark skinned Dominican people. And that was not really present in the main cast. So yeah, it, it, it just like who in the Heights should have been for like, and Lynn keeps saying this, like it's a celebration of Washington Heights. This show is a celebration of Washington Heights. That's who it should have been for. It should have been for the residents of Washington Heights, realistically. But since it's been touted as the Latine show, that's something that's come to haunt it. And it, it was always going to fail. <laughs> at that so it was kind of set up to fail in that way yeah it's hard it's hard like I hear what people are saying that like no one piece of art can represent an entire marginalized community and I agree with that but then like to use that as the excuse why dark-skinned Afro-Latina people weren't included in the main cast I don't think is right because the story is about Washington Heights um I think a big thing that a lot of people like a lot of non-POC non-POC people don't understand is that just because there's something that celebrates our culture doesn't mean that we're going to be we're not going to critique it like we're still going to be open to making it as best as we can and really acknowledging these issues like I a lot of my white friends were like why is everyone so mad like it was great like it showcased your culture like I get there's always going to be issues but and I'm like yeah but you still have to talk about it I think a big issue too was kind of how the cast was reacting to this feedback I watched an interview and um, the interviewer was straight up like, we have to mention like the colorism issue and in the heights, like all of your leads are light skinned people. And John Chu was just like, yeah, we just chose who was best for the role. And I'm like, we can't keep blaming white people for the excuses that we're gonna make when we actually have people in the casting chairs making those decisions. And even Vanessa was like, yeah, I think they just chose who, we, we I felt like the character, I felt like Vanessa. So because I felt like her, they casted me as her. And I'm like, there's a lot of people who could resonate with a character like that, that don't have to look like you. And if for a story, like Jacob said, for Washington Heights, I feel like that's a very specific neighborhood that you can't just showcase a whole culture in. And you have to be really specific on how you tackle it. So I think, yeah, they definitely missed the mark on that. And they keep saying they did, but <laughs> I guess for these further po projects, we'll wait to critique those too. Well, John got the same criticism for Crazy Rich Asians. So John needs to fix his casting. And also the whole thing, like with the what's his face, the Tiffany and the whatever casting people are white. Um, Jacob and I, well, Jacob knows, like Jacob has like, you, Jake, do you want to say it? Do you want to tell the story? You don't have to tell the story. We can. Oh, no, I can tell the story. I don't care about do it. I don't care about that girl. <laughs> do it. No, like I had an interaction with her, but she deleted the tweet. It was really strange where like I was talking about the Sun Foster situation. And then she was like, online bullying is still bullying, whatever, whatever. And then she deleted the tweet. And then I find out that she was like, she's like the highest credited casting director for, for the movie. And there was another one. Uh, I forget his name. Telsey. You guys, Telsey casts all of theater and film. I'm glad we forgot who he is. <laughs> Telsey's also white, but Telsey and Company is one of the most powerful casting companies in New York City. It casts, they cast all, all the shows you've ever heard of, they cast. Telsey cast 
Dear Evan Hansen, Kelsey, Telsey cast Wicked. Telsey casts all your favorite movies. Like, Telsey is everywhere. Anyway, Tiffany and Telsey are the ones, are the two white people who cast in The Heights. And it kind of sucks that, at least from what I've seen, they haven't made any public, like, literally, it seems like everyone who was involved with the movie has had to make, like, a statement about the colorism in the casting, except the casting directors. And I even, like, quote tweeted the, the, the Roots interview where, like, the discussion happened. And I added Tiffany and I wasn't even rude about it either. I was just like, hey, would you mind responding to some of the questions posed in this interview? Like we heard from the director and the cast. I would love to hear your perspective on it. Just because like casting directors need to be part of this conversation as well. So like the fact that like they haven't been required to engage in this conversation is honestly like really disappointing. (laughs) I think that um, there was like a hot take. So one of the things that um, I almost stole, honestly, from affirmative reaction was everybody giving their hot take um, because I love that section. Um, But like, I frequently agree with Annika on all the hot takes, on all of her hot takes. I'm like, every time I'm like, me and Annika wins. And one of my favorite ones that you said was that like, stop looking at casts to represent your diversity and start looking at the creative team and start looking behind the scenes. Um, and I would say like, go further than that. Look at your, look at the people who are doing the casting, look at your producers, look at the theater that they're going into. I just learned that um, I was talking to someone about, pro- oh, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody about producing. Um, oh, I'm not going to say their name, but it, she is a uh, director. Um, a white director and I was talking to her and, and she was telling me like all of these things that were are happening right now on Broadway like this big reckoning um, and I was like and she was like you know what people don't understand is that theater houses have a lot of say in things like the houses like the Broadway houses um, if anybody knows me they know I love Anne Juliet and one of the things that I cannot stand about Anne Juliet is their social media team um, and I was talking to her about this because I cannot shut up about that show um, and she was like, she was like, well, it could have been the theater. She's like, I worked for a theater once, or I was the assistant to a director who had their own team. They wanted to bring their own team for the social media director. And the theater said, if you bring those people in, you're not allowed in our theater. So like, like we use two people, like we use two different social media teams, this social media place and this marketing social media place, but those are your choices. Uh, and you cannot bring in your own team. And I think that like the transparency of the industry in that regard needs to be broken down so that we know who to look for, for responsibility. And I think that while yes, like Lynn and John both are responsible, especially John, because you have this problem with crazy rich Asians, John, like they also need to be held responsible. <laughs> Weren't they also the ones that just had a problem with like the the... Some they posted a picture or something, and everybody was white, and they were like looking. Or is that a different group? Of that people? was that was Tara Rubin. That was a different casting oh, company. Oh, sorry, in that New was York a City. different that was a different casting company in New York City. My bad. Um, <laughs> I casting really needs to be looked at, um, and it wasn't really a thing that like I even knew that uh, was a was a thing. Um, Ryan, different Ryan uh, than affirmative reaction Ryan, um, Ryan Carter over in the UK is doing uh, The Wiz. Um, And he was saying like, he's like the first black casting director like in the UK and he's doing the casting directing for The Wiz. And I was like, what? And like, I don't don't doubt that. Like apparently the UK is worse than it is here. 
Um, which is really funny because I had uh, a friend the other day tell me like, I'm going to London because they don't seem to be having all these problems. And I'm like, no, because it's worse. They don't talk about it because it's worse. Uh, and so anyway, I just, I, I, I love like talking about that kind of stuff, especially when it comes to casting. Cause I like really want to like, if we want to solve these problems, like I want to know who I'm going to yell at. Yeah, I mean, I actually, one of the, I guess I forgot to say this in the in my intro, but like one of the things that I'm currently focusing on is casting direction. Um, I was the casting intern at the Seattle Rep. So that was, I was the casting and artistic intern. So it was like one of the main things I did was uh, file headshots and go to audition, like go to open calls um, and industry calls. And first thing to link, I have, if, if you're interested in casting at all, um there's a great move there's a great documentary um it is very white centered but like you know what's not um it's called casting by and it's specifically following this one female casting director in the movie industry um but like also telling the stories of uh like how a lot of different uh movies got cast like how because obviously like casting for note for like nobodies is really important like are you going to cast somebody established or are you going to cast a new person um, and like so many famous white people movies had like casting journeys that almost didn't get p famous people started like this. And the casting director was the one who went to the director and said, you should bring this person in. Or I saw this person in a theater production. They were really good. And they were like, no, I'll never work with that person. And the casting director had to be the mediator. The casting director had to be the one to like be sneaky and be like, actually, you are going to see them because they are really good. And I believe in their talent. Casting directors are often advocates for actors. They are the first line of defense for actors in the room. Um, and I've seen that time and time again, whether it comes to theater or in this this documentary, whether it comes to movies, casting directors have to be advocates um, because directors do not cast movies. Directors choose actors, but they do not cast movies. They don't they don't look at every single headshot. They don't read everybody's resume. They don't check everybody's reel. That's what a casting office does. And so that's why I'm actually really interested in moving into casting because when you think that you're like, oh, cool. And then you look at the casting industry and it is white. It is a pile of snow. And I think that that is the reason that so many of these snafus happen. And then we place it on the director right and now again not that the director is complicit like obviously directors have final say on a cast they you need to make sure that that a cast has chemistry with a director so if a director's like i don't feel comfortable working with a black person explicitly or not explicitly that person's not going to get cast so it i think it is hard for people to understand like the magnitude of what a casting office does um and how important it is to setting up the chemistry and success of a piece um, so I'm like 100% co-signing that, Kelly. Like, I just want to like underline, bold, italic, superimpose. Casting is the first thing that needs to be, is one of the first things that we need to be looking at diversifying, not just the company and then placing the impetus for diversity and equity on the people who are at the bottom of the rung. Don't make your chorus members try to do that equity work. You need to get people who are on the team to be doing that work. And that starts with casting directors. Okay, I'm done. No, definitely. I think I see, because I've seen a lot of like, um, one of the things that's happening, I'm in this group called Design Action, wow, plug. Um, and it's basically like an activist organization kind of conglomerate, uh, it's not a, but with a bunch of like really interesting, uh, a lot of like really popular and established, we use the words established, designers. 
Um, and it's really interesting to like hear about what's going on with them because there's a lot of all white teams coming back. Um, like for example, did anybody know that the note, I'm, we're getting off track within the height. So we're going to go back in a second, I promise. Um, but I think that this is a really important conversation to have, um, because it, it speaks to the diversity and, and how important that is. Um, but I remember, uh, I was talking with like the, the design teams of this all white, there's an all white team, spoiler alert. Oh, casting director for Crazy Rich Asians, a white woman, not surprised. Uh, Annika wrote that, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah, basically what's happening is, um, there's a, there are a few, all, there are a few all white teams coming back for new shows. Like the notebook is one of them. Uh, yes, the notebook is a musical. Did anybody catch that article? Because they did publish an article that is not like unreleased stuff. Ingrid Michaelson is working on a musical for the notebook. It's an all white team, uh, basically, except for, um, their assistant director. It's okay. Nobody listens to this podcast. Um, and so anyway, I, and they like, there were like, you know, all, there are a lot of shows coming back. And so somebody on one of the other shows asked me like, what do I do? Um, because they don't, <laughs> don't know. And I'm like, you gotta be your own advocate. You gotta say things. You gotta be public about it. Like you don't want public backlash. Like after a, firm or your people who you work under make it public they're making it public for you so you got to be public right back you can't get mad when people see public information and then get mad at it like there are some things that you can you can't help but like one of the things that you can help is you can say i acknowledge this is an all-white team i acknowledge i was different before the pandemic i acknowledge i'll never do it again i'll acknowledge i'll put it i'll put a freedom writer in my contract I'll do whatever. I never want to be on an all white team again. This is not how I want to come back into this industry. And I want to be a part of that change. And that is something that you need to say. Um, and I, and I told them that I was like, you need to put out your own statement. Like, I don't care if you like clear it with people. I don't know. Just get it out there that like, you understand that this is something that's happening. You understand it's wrong and you will never do it again. And I think that that's like, that is hopefully one of the tangible changes that we see when this um, industry comes back, whatever that means, because there is going to be a slew of all white projects coming back when Broadway news starts coming back. And my, I'm doing quotation circles because I hate when people say theater's coming back. Um, but like, you know, when this all comes back. Um, so I want to cap that conversation uh, because I really want to talk about also Carla and Daniela. Cause like I was watching it and I was like, are they, are they lesbians? And I remember messaging Ryan because I knew Ryan had seen it in advance and I know Jacob hadn't watched it yet. Um, and I was like, uh, Carla definitely kisses Daniela in the first montage, like when they're waking up, um, wh what's going on there? <laughs> like, What's happening? I also thought there was always a crazy age difference between the two of them. So I don't know who cares. And, but I like, but it's really uh, an appropriate age difference. Uh, but I was always like wondering like what was going on and like, what do we think of it? I mean, I'm in love with all three of those actresses. If there was a way that they could share an Emmy or an Oscar or whatever for like best supporting actress, just like goes to all three of them. It's a three-way tie. Congratulations. You won as a little ensemble. I'd do it. I'd love them so much. Would give 
my hand in marriage to Dasha as as Kuka, to be honest. And I'm also drawing fan art of them because I'm a nerd. But um, also for those of you who like don't know, there was like a big like Lynn. Oh, Lynn. Lynn pulled a like a J.K. Rowling uh, with the whole Sunny and Graffiti Pete thing. Um, I don't, is there like a book or something that he wrote about like in the Heights? Like there was a novel or something that came out where like they wanted, I think they like expand upon um, Graffiti Pete. I'm just going to call him Pete. Uh, Pete and Sonny, like as romantic love interests. And so I don't know if that's correct. All I know is that there was apparently a very large fan community for the two of them. Um, and I, I'm doing a challenge right now that's 31 plays in 31 days that I'm trying to do in 14 days. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not writing fan fiction. We won't say it's fan fiction. We'll say I'm writing a play, but I was running out of ideas, but I wanted to entertain the two of them for a second. But like, what do we think about LGBTQ rat, not LGBTQ rat, happy pride, everyone. <laughs> it's June. Uh, would be interested in hearing what people think about that change add in i have no idea change uh i have very little to say about this mostly because i'm tired i grew up with tumblr i grew up with people hopeless i mean i am a queer woman like i grew up hopelessly trying to find queer representation in everything and writing crazy long fan fiction to try to like supplement my own need for queer narratives in my life um, but retconning characters into queerness, um, just because it's now fashionable, boring. Boring, Disney has already done it many, many times. Daniela y Carla were not gay in the musical. Graffiti Pete and Sonny were not gay in the musical. And like, it's okay. You can, you can be heterosexual, that's fine. But I just, I'm, I'm tired of, of people being like, well, let's sprinkle in a little bit of gay to appease the queers. Especially when this has already been on 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 Broadway, and of course fans were gonna see like a good female relationship and be like, "Oh, they could be fucking." I'm like, "Sure, of course they could." And you know, Graffiti Pete and Sonny are best friends. So you're like, "Oh, they could be fucking." Yeah, sure they could, but they're not. They're not, you guys. Okay, they're not. And if you want queer stories, make your own. Uh, don't let powerful people tell you in retrospect that people are queer to appease your need for queer stories. Just make your own queer stories and make your own space. Like, don't, <laughs> Lynn, don't do this. They're not gay. They are gay in the movie, but they're not gay. They were not gay. And also the very tired, like, seeing your girl dancing with a man and, like, pushing him away that happens during Carnaval del Barrio. I was like, not this. Not this overacted, like, oh, oh, get away from her. That was like the most we got. That was it. And I, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, I, I didn't need it. Of like the, like explicit, like. I mean, or... I, okay, I've seen, I've now seen this movie three times. <laughs> so I've, they're all and very I like. Small. They're all very they're small. They're all. You have to look for them. Yes. So as, as a person who has watched this movie three times, specifically the second time I saw it, I was, I clocked that, um, that dur during Carnaval, like right before her little, Dani, I have a question. I don't know what you're cantando. That's what it is. Um, Daniela's like talking, like dancing with a man. She gets, she's like sitting on the, on the picnic table. Carla like sees sees them dancing and gets jealous and then she, what she, her impetus to butt in with Dani I have a question is trying to get her away from this man that was clear it was very hammy 
when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's what they're trying to do. But it's so vague that unless you're, again, looking for it, it's not clear. Um, and God bless Dasha. She's beautiful. Kuka was completely unnecessary. What did she say? She said, probably got knocked up or something and then looked at, at, at Usnavi over her glasses once. She's hot. Let's all, let's, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to say that she's not. She was unnecessary and honestly felt clunky. I, she didn't feel integrated into the group because she was never part of the group. She wasn't in the original musical. Yeah, she said, I bet she got knocked up or something. And that was like her line. They talk about how that character was created. And they were like, we just loved Dasha and Stephanie. Stephanie um, plays Carla. Um, and they were like, we just loved the both of them so much as Carla. Like we wanted to like give Dasha something. But like what they did is they took a character that barely had any lines and then they split those lines in half. And I was like, I actually like would have loved if like I she could be like some sort of like capacity of another character. But um, also, I mean, I agree. I actually I mean, I would have loved if I would say I love if they would like had just given her no lines and then had brought uh, Camila back. But (laughs) I mean, but I want I want her to have lines. I think that like there are a lot of like male there's a lot of male development that like I could have not had I think and I don't know like I don't I can't like name where I think a lot of the musical numbers like we said earlier it was some of the musical numbers but I think there's just like there was a lot of Usnavi um and I just like I just I really wish that like the female characters could have gotten a lot more because like one of the things that I didn't like is they took away Vanessa's thing with her mother, which I thought was interesting. Um, in the musical, she has like, they talk a lot about her mom and she feels like she has to take care of her mother. And it's, so. am I, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't remember that. There's a all. part, there's a part, the whole like, the whole line where she says to, this is showing my nerdiness for this musical. I'm so sorry. I love it so much. Uh, there's a part where she talks to Daniela and uh, and Vanessa's like, uh, please, Daniela, I'm maybe getting this like the lines wrong. And she's like, she's like, please, Daniela, can you can you just sign off? Because she really wanted Daniela, I think, to sign for an apartment or sign for something or lend her money. And, uh, and Daniela's like, Carla, what do we say? And Carla's like, it's like a last line where Carla's like, she'll, she won't, she'll help you out, but she's not going to help your mom's malfunction. And then, uh, uh, and then Danielle goes, it's, it's dysfunction, dysfunction, not. And so that's like there. And that comes up like a few times where she talks about her mom and because her mom is like reliant like, I think she lives with her mom in the, but she's trying to move away from her mother. I think is another reason that she wants to move in the musical. Um, There's so many little details of In the Heights that are really cool and uh, obviously get lost in the movie. Um, And so, because nobody's talking about that because everybody's talking about Vanessa's character. I listened to a podcast today with a very white podcast and I was DMing Jacob about it. And they were like, they were like, I hate Vanessa. And I'm like, well, A, Vanessa goes, I really liked Vanessa in the musical. Um, And they definitely like round out her edges. Um, but I, but like, I actually really liked Vanessa in the musical because I think that she had like a lot of agency, like, yeah, I couldn't really see like why she wanted to 
leave where she was. I think it makes kind of even less sense now that she's a fashion, was she a fashion designer in the original? No, she was a fashion designer. So this is a new choice. So it's weird to me that she would want to leave because if she's getting all of her inspiration from Washington Heights, why would she leave Washington Heights? That, that was weird to me, but, um, but yeah, I wish that they had kept the whole thing with her mom. Um, that was a really, that was a really cool. Yeah. It was never, it wasn't even developed in the musical. And I, the fashion was Jigga, Jigga. We're getting to it. We're getting to it. I think what Daniela and Carla had because of the, what they had in the musical. And then because their relationship was so strong in the musical is like friends, women, friends uh, in the movie, it made complete sense to me that, that Carla would sleep over and she would wake Danielle up with a kiss. Like to me, like, because people are like, oh, that's like platonic. And I'm like, I don't know what's platonic and romantic anymore. Sure. It's platonic. I don't know. Uh, and so, but I, that is literally, that is a scene. They cut to that in the first cool. Okay. Um, there's also another part where Carla and Danielle are like dancing with each other. It's really cute. I like every, every time they're on screen for me, they steal the scene, but that's because like, I'm in love with like all three of them. Um, but yeah, it, are there any more thoughts on that? We do not have to expand on that if we want. We can take yeah, a break. Yeah, the only then... thing I would have to say on that is I didn't pick up those kind of vibes at all when I watched them, but I think that's because like in, at least for, for me in Latin American culture, like, like female friends are just very affectionate and touchy and I was like oh okay they're just best friends. that's what I was gonna I was like yeah. is this cultural like is this cultural like I'm not yeah, felt, like I this is cultural in Asian too like am I just missing things like is this a cultural thing that I just don't have the context to like because yeah they're always kissing each other's cheek like hugging like dancing close together so I didn't really yeah I just thought it was normal because it was that but when you brought up Kuka, I, I also agree she was kind of unnecessary, but I think she brought out this like crazy like Dia vibe to the to the movie, which is really fun. Um, especially in No Me Diga, like that song and that scene is like chaotic and fun, but that's actually like how like a Latin American salon is. Like it's a very gossipy. There's people all over the place. Half the people don't even need to like be there. So I get what they were trying to do to add like a little bit of fun into it. But yeah, she wasn't necessary. That's all I say. <laughs> yeah, the one thing I'll say about Kuka is that Dasha did her dramaturgical work to play that character because, like, we—if you've been to like a, a Latine party, there's always that one woman who no one really knows, but she's always twerking on someone, shaking them titties, having a great time. She makes, she brings energy to the room. I'm like, I don't know who you are. But like you're amazing, you're so much fun, and she she brought that she brought that to her scenes without having any lines. <laughs> so the dramaturgy was was on point there. Always in some kind of jumpsuit. How does she have so many jumpsuits? How do they all fit her perfectly? We never, we will never know. It's the secret. It's the secret of the Kuka. Mm -hmm. Hi everyone. This is post editing Kelly. Um, I just wanted to apologize for the very abrupt ending, but this podcast is going on uh, an hour and 18 minutes. So I'm going to do what I kind of wanted to do from the beginning and split up the podcast into two parts. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be doing the production side this week. And then next week I will be posting what we all thought about the production. 
I would really keep it all together, but I know how hard it is to listen to like two and a half hours um, of content because we really do go on for another hour about the production. So as per always, the links and everybody's links will be put in. We'll be saying it at the end of next week's episode and you will of course hear me introduce the next week's episode because uh, Kelly is very bad at foreseeing um, and doing the appropriate cutoff work and then also reintroduction. But you will see us all back Next week, we will be talking about the production of the In the Heights movie. Thank you for sticking with this weird outro. Hopefully, I will have more foresight in the future. Thanks for listening. See you next week.